This is Guns and Butter. Maybe uh, 9/11 was an opportunity to get rid of a few people that, for some reason, people wanted to get rid of. There's one one character that comes to my mind is Brian uh, Brian Jack. Brian Jack. He was one of the accounting uh, specialists who was in charge of uh, trying to solve the 2.3 trillion dollars missing that Donald Rumsfeld had announced on September 10th, and he had one office in the Pentagon. And if you check on the Washington Post, um, there's a website uh, in honor of all the people who died. And you read there that Brian Jack died at the place where any other day he would have been working in the Pentagon, not because he was working at the Pentagon that day, but because he was on American Airline 77, which crashed precisely, you know, at the point of his uh, office in the Pentagon. Can you believe that? I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Laurent Guillenot. Today's show, 9-11, The Planes and the Hijackers. Laurent Guillenot is an author, researcher, and journalist. His current research focuses on the religious and civilizational backgrounds of Zionist geostrategy. His books include Jesus and John the Baptist, Historical Inquiry into a Legendary Encounter, Fairy Death, an anthropology of medieval fantasy, and translated into English, JFK to 9-11, 50 years of deep state, and From Yahweh to Zion, Jealous God, Chosen People, Promised Land, Clash of Civilizations. Today we discuss his latest article, The 9-11 Double Cross Theory, Pentagon Inside Job, World Trade Center Israeli job that analyzes the September 11th attacks as two separate but related events with emphasis on the planes and the hijackers. Laurent Guillenot, welcome back. Well, thank you, Bonnie, for having me back. When we last spoke about your whodunit article, the 9-11 double-cross theory, Pentagon inside job, World Trade Center Israeli job, you talked about some of the main differences between the attack on the Pentagon and the attack on the New York City Twin Towers on September 11th. We also Mm -hmm. covered your analysis of what you view as two competing groups within the American deep state, traditional American imperialism as opposed to neoconservative Zionism, their differences and similarities, and a few of the prominent players. You also covered uh, the special roles played by Donald Rumsfeld and Dick Cheney. As well, you talked about a biblical mindset characteristic of Israeli leadership. So that's just to recap uh, what we talked about in our first show. Could you talk about the planes on 9-11? What is your take on the flights that have occupied so much of the alternative research into September 11th? Well, that's a very complicated issue. And uh, actually, uh, there are about 1,000 comments under my my, uh, latest article that you mentioned. And most of these comments are... uh, 
you know, debating on the about the the plane issue. How many planes? One, two, three, four, or zero planes? And, and that's really an intense debate and <laughs> very aggressive sometimes because uh, some people believe uh, that the the no planners, you know, people who believe there were no planes at all, are just trying to pollute the debate. So it's really an intense and complicated issue. And uh, I must admit, I don't think anybody has got the final explanation a complete theory that explains all the all the facts but uh, to me as I wrote in them in my uh, final comment you know on this article uh, after listening to you know every side I came to the conclusion that there are uh, two major arguments or, or one major argument for each side there are some people who who claim that um, um, well, well, first, before before I talk about the arguments, let, let's talk about the different planes, because there is only one plane that, that is really uh, problematic, that is really difficult to, to pinpoint, because, uh, you know, everybody knows there were four planes involved, supposedly. And, uh, you know, if you look at Shanksville in Pennsylvania, pretty much everybody agrees there were no planes there. Nobody, uh, the, the mayor of Shanksville, or I think his name is Ernie, Ernie um, Stull, Ernie Stull, I think, S-T-U-L-L. And in the film, in my film, we have him uh, <laughs> explain, you know, when he came to the site, and his brother-in-law came to the side. They, they saw absolutely nothing, just a hole. He, he said the plane had completely vanished. Poof, he said, you know. <laughs> so anyway, in Shanksville, pretty, pretty much everybody agrees there were no planes. In the Pentagon, you know, there is not even one picture that resembles a plane. And uh, there is no debris. There are very small debris, so most people would agree, you know. That it could not be a Boeing, uh, any kind of uh, uh, commercial jet, jet plane in any case. So there might be a small drone or something. If you listen to the conference by uh, Barbara Honegger, she, she mentions some uh, facts which uh, seems to point to the presence of a, a, a drone. Okay, but uh, then there, there are two planes that crashed into the Twin Towers. That's, that's the more complicated issue. Uh, one plane crashed into the North Tower, and that plane has been filmed by only one camera. There's only one uh, footage of the crash itself, and that's the footage filmed by the Node brothers. They are French, they happen to be there making a film about firefighters in New York, and they just by some uh, miracle caught the crash. There are many reasons to, to suspect that this uh, film is, um, is, uh, is not genuine, is not original. You know, and one reason is that the Node brothers themselves are kind of strange, mysterious characters. They have received uh, multiple awards after they have made a... But their origin, it, they don't look like brothers at all to start with, but anyway. So the main, the main focus of the debate is about the second plane that hit the, 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 the South Tower because um, thousands or maybe tens of thousands of people in New York, uh, we suppose, we assume, we're watching the Twin Towers at that time and saw the plane hit the South Tower, okay? So let's talk about this plane now. And then maybe we have to talk about uh, the 
um, commercial planes and the passenger list and did they really take off and what kind of plane they were. But let's for the moment forget about that issue and just focus on the, on the fact that a plane, whatever plane that was, crashed into the South Tower or not. Okay, so some people said, of course, a plane crashed into the South Tower. You know, tens of thousands of people saw it. And, uh, of course, you, you can ask them, well, can you name one person who saw it? And uh, then it becomes a little bit complicated. And then if you search on the Internet, you can find a few people who said they saw, they saw the plane. But some of those testimonies are not totally convincing. And some, maybe they are, or there is no special reason to, to, to question them. So uh, this is always what uh, people bring against those who claim there were no planes. Uh, many people must have seen them. But it's kind of strange, and if you study the, the, you know, all these testimonies, first you have testimonies of people like uh, the famous uh, Mark Walsh, who uh, on Fox News, you know, appeared. He's a Fox uh, freelance, uh, freelancer, and he, he declared, "I saw the plane uh, smash into the the tower and then explode through the other side, and then I witnessed both towers collapse." due to structural failures because the fire was too intense. And he used these exact words that sound exactly like what the, you know, the NICS report would say, structural failures, and uh, he used this kind of term. So this kind of guy is very, is, most people would accept he's a, like a crisis actor, okay? So already we have a question, why would they need people, uh, a crisis actor, to say they saw the plane hit the tower if, you know, if they had enough genuine witnesses to say. And then you have some people who say, well, they didn't see a plane. Many people said they didn't see a plane. They, they think the towers just exploded. Some say they heard a plane, but they didn't see it. So it gets really complicated. But I think, you know, uh, so many people would insist that, uh, for example, Kevin Barrett said he knows many people who, who said they saw the second plane. So I feel I have to assume that's true. I have to assume many people saw the plane. But on the other hand, uh, what convinced me that the plane that we see on the footage of the crash on the second tower, all of them cannot be real. There are basically four uh, footage where you see the plane entering the towers. There are, you know, many other videos where you 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 see the plane uh, coming to the towers, but you don't see the crash itself. You you don't see uh, the plane entering, penetrating the tower. There are only, to my knowledge, only four, and those four footage are one uh, one is uh, by a certain uh, Azerkani, another one is by Evan uh, Fairbanks. And then another one by a Canadian guy, Courche, I forgot his name exactly, and then there's a fourth one. And on all of them, you see the plane just penetrating the tower without even decelerating. You know, you can measure the speed. The plane doesn't slow down at all, and it just goes right into the tower. And if you look very closely, you see even the wings are not damaged at all they just enter into the tower and then as soon as the plane is basically completely inside the tower without having uh, had any damage without any parts being smashed you know or bumping against the tower or whatever 
then you have this huge explosion and after the explosion and all the, the dust uh, is out you see this big hole which some people call the they refer to this cartoon it escapes my uh, well never mind it looks like cartoon physics people speak about cartoon physics because if you study the structure of the Twin Towers and you study the structure, you know, what a plane is made of, it doesn't matter what kind of plane. You know, most planes are made of uh, aluminum. Uh, uh, the body is uh, very, uh, supposed to be very light. And in order to be quite light, of course, uh, military planes are maybe a little bit different, but even a military plane could not, in any case, enter, penetrate completely into the tower, and especially the wings. The wings should just... Uh, you know, bounced against the tower and, and fall to the ground. So that's the main argument of uh, the so-called no planners, uh, of which I, I, I am a part. I feel these pictures uh, cannot be real. So these planes that we see entering the tower cannot be real. Well, yes, uh, Laurent, the, the videos are fake, right? Exactly, yeah. So that's uh, the dilemma. What do we do from there, you know? Uh, if the if the planes are fake, then uh, then how is it possible that people saw them? You know, so I don't know exactly how to overcome that uh, contradiction. Well, Laurent, and, uh, one thing uh, you could point to is that there were all sorts of people after the Pentagon claiming they saw a plane. Uh, people will claim all sorts of uh, crazy things. Yeah, that's what I would uh, I would tend to do. I would tend to question, uh, and that's what uh, Ace Baker explains in his uh, wonderful film called uh, The Great American uh, Psy Opera, where in the last three chapters, it's absolutely uh, you know, fantastic film, in the last three chapters, he, he develops this theory that there were no, no planes hit the Twin Towers at all. And he explains, well, how come some people say they saw the plane? Well, you know, if you see something in reality and then you go back home and you, and you watch your television and you see a plane, you quickly become convinced that you should have seen the plane. So you might have seen the plane and then, you know, <laughs> little by little you, you end up, after watching the, the scene on television again and again and again, you end up believing, well, surely you saw the plane. That's a possibility. I think that's a likely possibility. Well, also, Laurent... What came to my mind was if there was no plane at the Pentagon, which I don't think there was, and there was no plane that buried itself at Shanksville, well, then that begs the question about the Twin Towers. If they weren't using planes in the other two events, well, then that calls the whole thing into question, in addition to the fact that using real planes uh, brings in an element of uncertainty and risk. Absolutely, that, yeah. That couldn't be tolerated, I wouldn't think. Well, yeah, many pilots have said, you know, uh, it was impossible to 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 hit those towers at the speed that the planes were um, were flying. Well, it would have been impossible for a, a jetliner to fly at those speeds, but even with any kind of plane, you know, uh, I remember actually. Um, uh, the Egyptian president at the time was um, uh, Mubarak, uh, his name was, I don't know if you remember. He was uh, kind of a victim of a coup just a few years later, and he was already a little bit sick in, in 2001. But he made this remark. He was a pilot. He was an army pilot originally, 
And he said there is no way that uh, even a trained pilot could have, at that speed, flown any kind of plane into the Twin Towers, you know. I mean, the chances to, to, to hit the towers were very low. So just as you said, you know, it's, uh, it would not make sense for, for the perpetrators to, to bet on that chance. I'm speaking with author, researcher, and journalist Laurent Guillenot. Today's show, 9-11, The Planes and the Hijackers. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. And uh, Ace Baker made a very good point also. He said, well, there's one very uh, obvious reason why they couldn't use real planes. If they had used real planes, suppose, if we suppose they had managed to hit the towers with a drone or it doesn't matter what kind of plane, then, of course, um, most of the plane, or at least part of the plane, would have bounced against the tower and all the pieces would have dropped in the street. And then all those pieces would have been picked up and identified. And then, obviously, you know, if there were not the, the, uh, the uh, American airline planes or United Airlines planes that we were told they were, then that would have been, uh, become apparent. So it was necessary that they fake the picture so that the, the whole plane must disappear inside the tower. And also, for another reason, it's only if the plane disappears inside the tower that they can claim that, uh, you know, the plane crash destroyed all those columns inside the tower, which uh, caused the collapse. You know, there's no way if real planes were used that the plane could have penetrated inside the tower, like we saw on these uh, cartoon uh, videos, and uh, and therefore there would have been no way to explain that the, the planes had caused the, the towers to collapse. So there's all kinds of reasons why uh, I I don't believe a plane, planes hit the towers. I feel uh, it's just physically impossible. Well, in so, addition, uh, what about the uh, steel lattice work that surrounded the towers? What do you mean? It wasn't only steel columns in the middle of the Twin Towers. The Twin Towers on the outside were covered with with, uh, steel latticework, right? Yeah, the the Twin Towers are based on two two grids. One uh, core grid inside where the elevators are and and the the outer grid. So the, the main... Most of the weight of the towers is supported by the outer grid. So these uh, uh, steel columns are incredibly strong. And they, and they, they, yeah, this is the outer grid. Plus, you know, if you look at the picture, uh, both planes entered the tower uh, in, uh, they were not completely horizontal because they, they supposedly uh, were turning. So, in fact, uh, they entered through uh, eight floors. I think the south uh, tower, uh, the plane entered and from one wing tip to the tip of the other wing, uh, eight floors where, um, you know, the hole covered eight floors. And on each floor, you have again this horizontal metal structure with concrete on it. How can a plane penetrate, you know, both the, the steel column on the outside and the horizontal uh, floors. It's just, uh, I mean, you don't need to be an engineer. I mean, Donald Trump, uh, you know, I, we have that in, in our film. You, you remember on the very day, he, let, he said that's completely impossible. And he knows a lot about skyscrapers. He, 
you know, he's a specialist of skyscrapers. So he was absolutely affirmative that uh, it was, you know, impossible. So he suggested a theory that uh, many people came to believe, but I don't think it really makes sense. He said uh, there must have been bombs at the same time as the plane entered. In other words, bombs must have made a hole so that the plane could penetrate the tower. You know, it's like uh, the bombs must have opened the door so that the plane, could, which doesn't really make sense either, because the plane would have to to enter perfectly where the bombs had been. Uh, you know, <laughs> we would have to suppose that uh, uh, the plane aimed, you know, with incredible precision to enter exactly to slip, you know, into the into the hole made by the the bombs. But some people still are, believe that uh, that's a solution. And uh, it's obviously not. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Please go ahead, because I interrupted you. You were going to go on no, about no. planes. Well, I can, you know, it's so complicated. I can go on and on. But I feel I have to mention one, uh, I feel, uh, in interesting study made by um, uh, Richard Hall. Richard Hall, H-A-L-L. Uh, he made a very impressive uh, study of all the videos where we see the plane crashing or approaching the South Tower. And he found about 53 of them, I think. And some of them he could not use, so he used about 20 or I think 16, I'm not sure. And all these uh, 16 videos, he used a program to uh, calculate the trajectory of the plane in all those videos, because it looks like those trajectories are not consistent. It looks like from one video to the next, you know, the plane has a completely different trajectory. But he could prove, I, I trust he did, I haven't, you know, done all the calculations myself, but he says, and he, he shows in his video that he could prove that in fact, yes, all the trajectories are consistent. And they are following one of the radar um, numbers that have been provided. There have been two, he explained, there have been two uh, set of, uh, of um, um, data uh, provided about two different uh, radar system, one civil uh, system and one military system. And he said, well, if we look at the document, the standard document that uh, uh, shows all the data of this radar, then uh, he put all those data in his uh, 3D model and he could show that all those videos, actually on all those videos, the plane is following this uh, trajectory. So then we have a new question. If all those videos were fake, those who faked it must have used the official radar data. But, you know, that's a little bit more, more difficult to believe. Therefore, Richard Hall proposed as uh, also Simon Schack, another person uh, who uh, made this film called September Clue, and there is a whole blog called September Clue. I think they basically agree on the hologram theory. In other words, there were no planes, but by some kind of mysterious system, um, a plane was made visible to people, at least from some angle, and to some cameras. So I was very, very reluctant to follow that theory, but uh, the more I think about it, the more I think it might be one explanation. 
Uh, in other words, um, this, it doesn't exclude the possibility that some pictures were faked by video compositing, you know, but there might be different technologies used. I think um, Ace Baker has convincingly proved that some pictures were created by video compositing, especially this uh, picture which he called the Pinocchio's nose, where you see the plane, I think it's uh, images from the Fox Chopper 5. It was filmed by a guy named Kai Simonsen from a helicopter chopper. And uh, Ace Baker explains very, very well that because his helicopter was moving, his system, you know, he made a mistake. And then we see the plane entering the tower from one side. And then we see the nose of the plane exiting the tower from the other side. And then, then there is a blackout because Kai Simonsen realized his mistake and then cut off, you know, the image. So I think uh, Ace Baker really convincingly proved that this must be video compositing. But there might be another technology which explains why so many people, if so many people did see the plane, why, why they saw the plane, and why um, uh, on all these cameras, all this uh, footage, amateur footage, why the plane follows this, the, the same trajectory. I have no, you know, certainty. I'm just mentioning this because that's part of the, that's part of the debate, and that's that would be a possible solution to the contradiction between the two opposite arguments. On one hand, you know, there are too many people who said they saw the plane. On the other hand, these planes cannot be real because real planes cannot enter, uh, penetrate into the tower. So at this point, that's where I am. But basically. If we want to conclude on the plane issue, there would be more to say because uh, we we could maybe if you if you want we can talk about uh, uh, what happened to the real to the to the plane of American Airlines and United Airlines, but that's another issue. But on this issue of whether planes uh, penetrated the the tower or not, uh, you know, then what I what I would add is that I agree with people who say, well, you know. This is not so important, at least, but, you know, I think it's not an issue that we should bring, bring up when we want to, you know, uh, talk to people who believe the official narrative, you know, this is, uh, this is uh, not the best approach, you know, the best approach would be just to talk about Tower 7, for example. But for people who are already convinced that the official narrative is false, then of course it's, uh, I feel it's an, an important issue because uh, the very nature of those planes, whether they were real or not, tells us a lot about uh, the people who, who, who did 9-11 and how they did it and how they fooled us. I think this is a still important issue. But unfortunately, uh, I feel uh, there is no fully convincing explanation, just just like also there is no fully convincing explanation of how the towers came down. That's another issue which, you know, at this moment, there's still a lot of mystery. We know they didn't come down by themselves. We know the planes, whatever they were, did not cause the collapse, but we still don't know exactly what kind of uh, explosive or what kind of system was used to bring them down. So we have to accept there are still some technical uh, issues that are not completely solved. What evidence do we have of the actual four commercial jetliners that the official narrative claims were in the air and crashed? Do we know anything specifically 
about these uh, commercial jetliners? Well, yeah. So that's another side of the of the question of planes. Uh, I think most people who are a bit uh, informed about uh, 9/11. Uh, today would uh, agree that um, none of those commercial airliners uh, crashed either in the Pentagon, in Shanksville, or in the World Trade Center. I think very few people uh, would say they, they did. So those who believe some planes crashed into the Twin Towers generally consider they cannot have been these uh, airliners supposedly hijacked by uh, Islamic terrorists for different reasons. So then the question arises of what happened to those uh, airliners and to their passengers. And there, here, you have different theories. I'm speaking with author, researcher, and journalist Laurent Guillenot. Today's show, 9-11, The Planes and the Hijackers. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Uh, a few years ago, there was a lady called uh, Rebetta Roth. She was a former air um, stewardess, so she knew a bit about uh, that kind of job, and she examined the testimony of uh, a few stewardess, especially uh, the, the famous one called Betty Ong, who made a call to, not sure to whom actually, from the plane, from the hijacked plane, and her call lasted almost 10 minutes, maybe even more, I think about 20 minutes, which is quite amazing. And this call is very, very strange, but anyway, according to Rebecca Roth, uh, the planes were real, they were hijacked not by terrorists, but by remote control, and they were landed in um, in a special uh, secret uh, airport, which uh, the name and the place I don't remember in her theory. And basically, some of those passengers and stewardess were forced, maybe at gunpoint, to make fake phone calls. You know, and that's how all those fake phone calls came to came to uh, appear. Uh, we know these phone calls were not possible from uh, uh, the flights. The flights were in the air, but if the flights, if the planes had landed somewhere in secret, then anyway, that's what you say. And then the passengers were basically killed. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's a reasonable. Uh, uh, theory. First of all, if if we try to think about the people who organize all this, it would not make much sense for them to take the risk to land four airliners somewhere secretly and eliminate all the passengers and then get rid of the bodies in some way and get rid of the planes. And you know, I mean, the, just uh, just doesn't make sense to me. So I feel this Rebecca Roth. Uh, it was uh, just trying to bring some crazy theory which uh, um, doesn't really make sense. So my own guess is that none of those planes existed. None of those flights existed. None of them took off. And uh, I pointed out in my article then that uh, American Flight 77, which supposedly crashed in, in a Pentagon, took off from Washington, 
Okay, so it didn't have to go very far to crash into the Pentagon. So anyway, as uh, we all agree, there was no plane there. So there's no reason to believe a real planes took off. And the same with all the, all these other planes. It it was quite, it was much easier in any case to to uh, just fabricate um, a record of the flight's takeoff and to fabricate a, a, a passenger list with um, mostly fictitious people than to do, you know, the, the thing that Rebecca Roth claims uh, was done. So I feel no no reason to, to think that any of those flights were real. You know, there, there are different also additional reasons to doubt you know, one reason has been pointed by someone, I forgot who, he pointed and he, he showed, and uh, I think it's uh, true that, you know, normally when there is a plane crash, all the, all the relatives would, you know, even knowing the plane would not land where it was supposed to land, they would still go to the airport and gather there because they don't know what else to do because this is they have to do something so they would just go there and uh, gather together and, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, there would be huge um huge gathering at the airports where the plane was supposed to land and this did not happen for any of the four planes you know the airports were basically empty nobody came to to the airports in uh, i don't even remember where the planes where they were supposed to land but anyway they took off from boston the two planes that crashed into the twin towers it seems that nobody was uh, was there at the airport, the, the airport where those flights were supposed to land. So that's another sign that, um, you know, the passengers were not real. Yeah, that's very interesting. I hadn't thought about that aspect of it before. Now, isn't it also the case that there have been reports or evidence that all four planes, they have serial numbers or whatever, that these these uh, actual jetliners were, were still in service after 9-11. Do we know about that? Yeah, I've, I've seen that. You know, I'm repeating what I read here and there, and, uh, you know, I try to check the information, but uh, I don't uh, memorize everything. But yes, as, as far as I remember, two of those planes were proven to be still flying after 9-11 with the same same tail number. Yes, there were many anomalies. I remember reading a local newspaper here. Uh, after 9-11, they had uh, color photographs of many, many people that they claimed were on these planes. And mm-hmm. one of them was a, was a well-known actress by the last name of Berenson. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, I noticed years later, uh, I saw her, there were pictures of her in Europe or whatever. She she wasn't on the plane. So it, it was like they were just, the, the media was creating stories uh, that weren't real. Yeah, 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 of course, yeah. I mean, uh, some people who supposedly were on the plane uh, were real people, and then we, we, we can wonder what happened to them, but... Uh, you know, like Barbara Olson on the American Airlines 77, um, the wife of the Solicitor General, Ted Olson. So the, the, these are unsolved cases. We, we I have no idea what happened to them. But uh, Well, for one in thing, general, in the Zacharias Musawi trial, 
he was uh, mm-hmm. claimed to be the quote twentieth hijacker. The FBI admitted that that Barbara Olson phone call to her right. husband, the Solicitor General, never connected. So the, even the FBI claimed that wasn't true. And then I sure. read years later that uh, I guess his name was Theodore Olson, I believe. Yeah. Uh, that he remarried a woman that looked very similar to his first wife. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah. You can see the picture of, of uh, Barbara Olson and his new wife, I think Lady Booth or something. Uh, yeah, they do look look similar. So they, yeah, there's been a theory that he remarried the same wife who underwent <laughs> uh, uh, surgery, but <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it's really weird. Most of all those things you can find actually on one website. I invite everybody to go and take a look. It's uh, the website is called 911planeshoax.com. 911planeshoax.com. You can find many things. You can also find a very interesting information about the very small number of people who um, came forward to claim the money that the government was offering to the relatives of the people who died. People yeah, who died on the, on the planes, you mean? R- relatives of the people who died on the plane were uh, proposed to receive money from a, a compensation uh, fund. And the guy who was uh, in charge of that was uh, Kenneth Feinberg. A very strange person indeed. And then there are questions about where did all this money go? Because not so many people uh, officially came forward to, to receive that money. And in fact, uh, there's been study also about uh, on the, I think it's a, there is a kind of a social security data where all the people who die, uh, you can find them. You know, and then some people, you know, went to the through the trouble of looking for each one of the people because we have all the names of the passengers of all those four planes, and he he checked and he, he I think he found that not not even twenty percent of those people can be identified as officially dead. You know, it would be reasonable to assume that maybe three or four percent, you know, were kind of uh, were not recorded for some reason or, or not, but 80% is just impossible. So, you know, there's so many questions which I think if you accumulate all these uh, problems, I think the most reasonable conclusion is that most of the passengers were not real. Some of them might be real and maybe maybe uh, 9-11 was an opportunity to get rid of a few people that some, for some reason people wanted to get rid of. There's one, one character that comes to my mind is Brian, uh, Brian Jack. Brian Jack, I think, uh, J-A-K-E, I believe. He was one of the accounting uh, specialists who was in charge of uh, trying to solve the $2.3 trillion missing that Donald Rumsfeld had announced on September 10th. And he had one office in the Pentagon. And if you check on the Washington Post, um, there's a website uh, in honor of all the people who died. And you read there that Brian Jack died at the place where 
any other day he would have been working in the Pentagon, not because he was working in the Pentagon that day, but because he was on American Airline 77, which crashed precisely, you know, at the point of his uh, office in the Pentagon. Can you believe that? Are, are you saying that they're claiming he was on the plane or in the Pentagon? Yeah. No, he was on the plane on a business trip, and the plane happened to crash exactly at the place of his <laughs> Pentagon office. <laughs> I mean, this is so absurd, so crazy, you know, the people who invent such things. But the point is, Brian Jack is a real person, and he disappeared. Yeah. Maybe he was killed, and then his name was put on the plane list as a... You know, you can imagine the thing. So maybe a few cases, uh, there might be a few cases like this. I mean, all kinds of things like this are possible. But basically, the majority of the, of the, of the passengers, I think, were, were fictitious, were not real. That's the most reasonable, I think, uh, solution. I'm speaking with author, researcher, and journalist Laurent Guillenot. Today's show... 9-11, The Planes and the Hijackers. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. In our discussion of the planes, which is uh, really a discussion of how uh, things were done, not who did it or the geopolitics, but how it was uh, done, what mm -hmm. about the hijackers themselves? Now, they're supposedly 19, quote, hijackers, of course, many of whom uh, were Saudis, etc. Yeah. Uh, if there were no real planes used, let's say, how do we account for the hijackers? What do we know about the so-called hijackers? Well, one thing we know is that some of them were still alive after 9-11, <laughs> just like... Uh, just like some of the planes were still flying, some of the hijackers uh, came forward and say, hey, I was not on the plane, I'm still alive. I think Mohammed Atta himself, uh, his father said that he called him on the day of 9-11 after the attacks to say, I didn't do it, I, I'm still alive. And then uh, his father probably advised him to, uh, to hide somewhere. And then we haven't heard about him anymore. But you know, I think it's quite well known in uh, in Saudi Arabia in particular and uh, in most uh, Muslim countries that none of these hijackers were, uh, most of them were not even uh, Muslim uh, fundamentalists at all, you know. So there are different uh, possibilities. Uh, I found out something quite interesting about the 19 hijackers is that uh, one important Information came from uh, a report by the Drug Enforcement Agency, the DEA, uh, made public in 2002. And this, uh, this was a report about uh, 140 Israeli spies who were arrested before 9-11, between March 2001 and uh, September uh, 2001, and then 60 more Israeli spies who were arrested shortly after 9-11, okay? And in this report, it is mentioned that uh, 30 among those 140 Israeli spies resided, lived in the area of uh, the town of Hollywood in Florida, 
was a small city, Hollywood. I think it's a city of about 140,000 people, Hollywood in Florida, not in California. And what, uh, what is a very strange coincidence is that in the same area, 14 of the 19 hijackers were living also. And then different information came uh, uh, from other sources. And there's one uh, testimony that I read about quite recently. I'm sorry, I forgot uh, the name of uh, the person who who uh, made this testimony public. Uh, it's a testimony by one person who anyway wanted to remain anonymous, who claimed to have lived also in, uh, in the city of Hollywood and to have met Mohamed Atta quite a few times in the building where he had his own business. He was, uh, he was working in one, uh, in one building in Hollywood. And in the same building, there were different offices occupied by Israelis who spoke Hebrew and who mostly uh, occupied these uh, offices during the night and uh, were, you know, kind of strange people. And sometimes he saw Mohamed Atta and other people of, you know, Arab-looking people come into the building so he can testify that they were in contact. And there is evidence of contact, including uh, money that came on the account of uh, Mohamed Atta and can be traced to, to these uh, Israeli spies uh, through some reason. So there is strong evidence that some Israelis living in this area Israeli spies, in fact, they were not really spies, they were probably uh, agent uh, uh, from secret services in charge of preparing one aspect of 9-11, and what they had in charge probably was to uh, at least um, prepare the list of the hijackers, okay? And so these 14 hijackers who came from the Hollywood area other hijackers of uh, American Airline 11, United Airline 175. So that is the two planes that supposedly hit the World Trade Center, plus the four hijackers of United Airline 93, which uh, supposedly crashed in Pennsylvania. And it's interesting that the only, the only hijackers who are not part of that list are the hijackers of American Airlines 77 that crashed in the Pentagon. And when I realized this, I thought, well, that's, that's uh, quite uh, consistent with my theory that the event of the Pentagon and the other event, including the plane that crashed in, in Pennsylvania, were prepared by different groups. And uh, there were two lists of hijackers that somehow were... Uh, uh, put together after 9-11. One list included five hijackers, the five hijackers of uh, American Airlines 77 that crashed in the Pentagon, and that list had nothing to do with Israel. It was part of the Pentagon inside job. And then all these uh, other hijackers, you know, at least have the, the names of these hijackers, have the fingerprints of Israel on, on them. You see what, I, what, what I'm saying is that... Uh, you yes. Know, uh, yes, that's very, very interesting. No, I just noticed very recently. In fact, I put it in an, in an addendum in my article because I realized after I had published and I asked Ron Hoons, can you add this? Because that's, that's quite uh, supportive of my theory. There are two different origins. The list 
uh, 19 hitchhikers obviously have two origins. One origin is uh, Hollywood, Florida, and this is a list uh, obviously prepared by these uh, Israeli agents. And the other list has another origin. Probably uh, it was, uh, you know, put together by the people who prepared the event in the Pentagon. That's I found this quite uh, revealing in some way. But in any case, none of these hijackers, none of these people were in the planes. In fact, uh, very strangely, even in the official passenger list, their names don't appear in none of them. That's right. Which is, a, which is a, I, I don't know how they could make such an incredible mistake. You know, they published the passenger list and they omitted, maybe for me for some reason, you know, the people who had to prepare the passenger list and the people who had to prepare the hijacker list did not communicate well enough. <laughs> so in the end, you have the list of the hijackers and you have the list of the passengers and they don't fit. So anyway, I see different reasons to, to imagine two different um, uh, people creating those two events. Uh, I, see, I see the technical aspect of the two events are different. I see the fact that in the Pentagon, you, you don't see really clearly Israel's fingerprints, but you see Israel's fingerprint all over the place in the World Trade Center. And I see, as we talked about last time, I see also after 9-11, a clear uh, conflict of agenda between two different groups. One group uh, represented by, you know, what I call the traditional uh, imperialist, represented by uh, Zbigniew Brzezinski, for example, who wanted to invade Afghanistan and nothing else, and tried to resist uh, against the push of the neocons to invade Iraq. And then, on the other hand, all the neocons who used that event to uh, put incredible pressure on American institutions and on public opinions, and uh, their their pressure was relayed through the media, through their strong um, uh, influence on the media, to uh, go for a, a global war against uh, uh, terrorism in the in the world, in the Middle East in particular, targeting specifically Israel's enemies. So that that's basically my theory. It's a it's an hypothesis to try to explain you know, different aspect of the 9-11 event. What about the plane that supposedly crashed in Shanksville? That seems to be quite an enigma. Now, mm. when you were talking about the hijackers, then I'm assuming the so-called hijackers that were on uh, Flight 93 that they claim buried itself in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, what was that all about? Or was that some sort of a mess up? It, it doesn't really, I, I don't understand the Shanksville thing. Yeah, I don't either. And yeah, the, the, it, there, there are different theories. Some people believe that that plane uh, was supposed to hit Tower 7, the World Trade Center 7, that uh, collapsed in the afternoon on 9 11. Um, some people have uh, expressed that possibility, which uh, some people would respond, it's not really realistic because uh, the World Trade Center 7 is too low uh, for uh, to be hit by a plane. So the plane would have would have had to, you know, to almost uh, go vertically down, you know, on the on the building, which uh, would not have looked very realistic. So 
you know, another possibility, of course, officially there's been rumors that uh, the plane was aimed at the White House or, uh, you know, that, that's, that's, I think, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, this is what, what the mainstream media have been uh, suggesting. So but, I don't know. It's uh, it's. But if mysterious. there were no, if there were no planes, yeah. What was so, the point of staging a crash in Shanksville? It doesn't make sense. No, it's uh, it's it's weird. Yeah, it's weird. So, um, well, it doesn't make sense. I mean, it made a big story. It made a great story. All those you know passengers who, who you know, one of them I forgot his name. Uh, probably a fictitious character who said, let's roll. And then, you know, yes. they, they went against the, the hijackers and they prevented the plane from crashing into the White House. I mean, that makes a great story. So maybe that was the whole point of it. I don't know. On the other hand, we have this hole with no no debris of the plane that everybody could see on the television. So that doesn't look too good. So I really don't know. That's another thing that is still mysterious. There's still a lot of mystery, you know, about 9-11. Nobody can claim to have all these all these answers it seems like the israeli plan was so daring that uh, you know uh, and, and as i said sometimes you know the reason they they had this incredible audacity to to create such a thing is that uh, since their false flag attack on the uss liberty in 1967 which they also messed up they realized it doesn't matter if they mess up they'll get away with it <laughs> you know, nobody will dare accuse them. So they had this incredible uh, confidence that no matter, you know, if, if a few things mess up here and there and doesn't, don't work exactly as they planned, well, it doesn't really matter because, uh, because they'll get away with it. Fortunately for uh, people who are investigating, this gives us a lot of uh, evidence that the official narrative is fake. I mean, you just have to watch all these pictures of the hall in Shanksville or watch the pictures of the Pentagon and you you know no plane were crashed over there. So, But yeah, I suppose some things did not work according to plans. At least Tower 7 is, a, is another case. You know, uh, the most likely explanation for the reason why the Tower 7 was uh, uh, collapsed uh, vertically in front of the cameras in the afternoons is that it was supposed to collapse very shortly after the Twin Towers so that it would just disappear. Nobody would have seen the collapse itself, you know, in the huge clouds of uh, dust. That's a likely explanation. Something, you know, did not work, you know, the... It didn't fire, you know, so they, they had to rewire it. It took them a few hours, and then after they they had to think, well, what should we do? Should we do it anyway? And they decided to do it anyway because the building was wired for a controlled demolition, and uh, they thought, you know, they had to do it, otherwise all this wiring would become apparent. And that uh, surely doesn't look good today. Well, your explanation of... Uh Flight 93 making a good story makes sense because they even produced a feature-length Hollywood movie about uh, Flight 93. So, yes. That's right, yeah, that's right. That makes sense. You have produced a new film, 9-11 and Israel's Great Game. Uh, the English version will premiere on No Lies Radio on Sunday, October 9th. What would you like to say about this incredible film? 
Well, I can say I, I wrote the script. I didn't really produce it. It was produced by ERTV, which is uh, the, the multimedia uh, team of uh, Alain Soral, who is uh, publishing books and making videos and uh, all kind of thing in France. He's the most prominent uh, anti-Zionist uh, intellectual in France. And, and so they produced it with really, uh, they found really incredible images. And and so I wrote the script. And so we put together the in, uh, in one hour and 15 minutes, uh, we tried to present the main issues of 9-11, focusing on, um, on uh, the Israeli uh, uh, theory. So the, the film is called 9-11 and Israel's Great Game. The term Great Game refers here to to the uh, the geostrategy of Israel in terms of creating a greater Israel and using the American empire to, to help them destroy their enemies and so on. So uh, yeah, I, I hope this film has a great success and I'm looking forward to uh, uh, presenting it with uh, yourself, maybe, Bonnie. And uh, Kevin Barrett will be discussing after after the the stream show of, uh, of the film. Yes. Well, Laurent Guillenot, thank you again. Well, thank you, Bonnie. My pleasure. Is something happening here? Yeah, yeah. What it is ain't exactly clear. There's a I've been speaking with Laurent Guillenot. Today's show has been 9-11, The Planes and the Hijackers. Laurent Guillenot is an author, researcher, and journalist. His current research focuses on the religious and civilizational backgrounds of Zionist geostrategy. His books include Jesus and John the Baptist, Historical Inquiry into a Legendary Encounter, Fairy Death, An Anthropology of Medieval Fantasy, and translated into English, JFK to 9-11, 50 Years of Deep State, and From Yahweh to Zion, Jealous God, Chosen People, Promised Land, Clash of Civilizations. Laurent Guillenot has a degree in engineering, a master's in biblical studies, and pursued his interests in the history and anthropology of religions, earning his doctorate in medieval studies. His articles are posted at uns.com. That's unz.com. Guns and Butter is produced by Bonnie Faulkner, Yarl Mako, and Tony Rango. Visit us at gunsandbutter.org to listen to past programs, comment on shows, or join our email list to receive our newsletter that includes recent shows and updates. Email us at faulkner at gunsandbutter.org. Follow us on Twitter at G&B Radio.
sniper, trying to steal your life. You know what I'm saying? Look what this side just dealt. 